Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, thank you for this day that you have made. Thank you for what we're seeing with our eyes and what uh, our heart is, is awakened to in your purpose. We pray that you would bless your word this morning as we know that it is the bread of life. And you have said that man should not eat of bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, that he should live and that he should fulfill his purpose upon the earth. We give you thanks that the, the word of God is our meditation day and night, because in it, Psalm 1 promises our prosperity. Whatever do we do will prosper if your word uh, aligns our thoughts, our words, and our actions. We know that your word is a double-edged sword, and it cuts us deep. It's not superficial, but it divides the soul and the spirit. We know your word is a lamp unto our feet that we not go astray, and we know that your word is the good seed that produces a harvest that glorifies your name. Make our lives fruitful, Lord. Make uh, everything that is an impediment and a restriction and a limitation in our life to fulfill your purpose, Lord, that it would be cast aside so that we might pursue you holy, God. We give you thanks for the families that are represented here and those that listen and hear this message. We pray that their word would not return void and that it will fulfill the purpose for which you send it out. We give you thanks and we glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Um, for those of you that don't know um, this dynamic of church and, and a lot of people mix uh, church and religion and, and denominations, and they have it all upside down, and, and they don't know how to figure it out. Uh, I want to tell you what our experience has been with church. It was 16, I was 16 years old when I walked into a Christian church, and I, it was a culture shock for sure. It was, it had broken, uh, broken with all the ceremony, the ritual, uh, the liturgy, which is uh, how you conduct religious affairs. And so I sat there for as much as I could probably an all-out 15 minutes until I just said, you know some of these guys are nuts, and I ran back outside. So I commend the, those of you that are here for the first time, and you're still sitting here, and you haven't left. Um, but I ran outside, and I was there with my brother-in-law, and, and we broke out cigarettes. Imagine 16 years old, we broke out cigarettes. They're like, man, these people are nuts, and we're smoking. And uh, it was just too much to take in. It was a culture shock. I freaked out the first time I walked into a Christian church. So what I did afterwards, after the music subsided, you can tell I didn't even stay for the announcements or nothing. And after the music subsided and everybody stayed down and got back to normal a little bit, um, some person, some ushers that were standing around, they, they invited us back in. So we came back in. And so there was our first um, expression walking into a Christian church. But something supernatural and miraculous happened. Um, my parents gave their hearts to the Lord. My parents began to uh, line themselves up with the Word of God. And it was kind of freaky because they were kind of advanced in age. My dad was like 48. Um, and, and so that's, that's pretty much not a good time uh, or late in the ball game to start uh, aligning up your life with God. And so I saw this supernatural transformation in my dad's life. I saw this transformation in my mother's life. I saw this transformation in their marriage. And that made it real for the first time in my life. Because I had practiced religion all of my life. I was uh, 
baptized in, in a traditional church. I was, uh, we did our first communion. We did our confirmation. We did all the required steps. We grew in catechism. They taught us religion growing up. We went to a religious school, and there I became an altar boy. And, uh, and we, we, were do, we were singing in midnight mass, and we're doing all the activities, but my parents' marriage was deteriorated and disintegrated, and it ended up in a separation that was headed towards a divorce. And I said like this, if this stuff is not working for my parents' marriage and their life, then it must not be real. It must not have an impact that I need in life, so I can do without it. So I walked out uh, around the age of 14 and, and just disconnected. Now, some years later, I would walk into a Christian church about two years later when I was 16, and I said, I'm not going to join another religion. I have a good religion already. If I'm going to play religion, I'll play over there where I know it's a good religion. But um, if this thing is going to be real, it, it needs to transform, and it did. It transformed my dad's life, even in his advanced middle age. Um, it transformed my mother's life. Uh, she got off her, her uh, sleeping pills and, and, and pills that would keep her peace. Um, and I started saying, okay, this stuff is real. And so the embodiment was we joined the church, and the transformation began from a very young age. Now, if you fast forward some years, uh, the foundation of our Christian faith uh, all, all took place at church. And people have all sorts of opinions about church. I was on a, on a TV program, and they told me like this. They said, does going to church make you a better person? Does going to church make you a better person? I said, duh. I'm going to ask you a question with the question you just asked me. Does going to medical school make you a better doctor? How many of you guys would like to be operated by a guy who says, you know something, I just thought I would put medical school away and here I am practicing on you. That's not good. So church is a place where we're instructed and we're given the parameters of behavior which is beneficial. And so it is good that you're at church. It does do a difference. I, I can tell you, um, and I think what Rodrigo said is really on. If I wouldn't be here, I wouldn't know. If I wasn't here, I wouldn't know how to do it. Well, I'd be very smart, but I'd be a fool. So you come to church, and not only are you smart, but you walk in wisdom. And wisdom comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from books. It doesn't come from the university. So the church is a place where God bestows his wisdom. And so when I had the opportunity and I grew up and I had enough uh, the wherewithal to put something into existence, I wrote this book called Restoring the Gates that Prevail. And this was our first book and it was written in 2007. And it talks about the church. Why? Because so many people have played around with the church so much that it's become a circus. But this book here uh, spends several chapters on touching up what the church is. And, and God's game plan to destroy Satan has to do with the church. And we see that there in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, where Jesus says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prosper against it. The only entity upon the earth that is the safe haven and the safe place for man to abide uh, under the shelter and, and the refuge of God as a mighty fortress. The church is a strong place where the devil cannot mess with. Now, uh, the church has been fallen in the state of disrepair. 
disrepair, and, and that's why restore the gates. Restore, put back those things in place that need to be in their place so that the church could be what God intended it to be. Now, if, if the church deteriorates and lies in ruins, then there is no safe haven. Then the devil, I want to tell you, um, there's people like Marilyn Manson. There's people like uh, Britney Spears. Uh, there's people like Katy Perry. There, all these sorts of people that have come, and, uh, even Charles Manson. He's a serial murderer and a psychopath. All, uh, Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer, all these guys were part of a church system that was a lie. And so that hardened their heart and caused them to go back into the world where they're supposed to be world changers. They're now on the world's team doing what the world does, lying, cheating, perverted, and, and all sorts of things. Instead of lifting up the banner of God in this world, they, they are on the devil's team. They're bringing more destruction and perversion into existence. Um, so here it is that the church is a place that God, Jesus says, I will build on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prosper against it. So the mindset is, and, and, and in an abstract form, a lot of people see the church as a building, and they see it as a temple and a sanctuary, but that, that's place where the church meets. That's not the church. The church is you and I who have kept Jesus Christ as the head of our life. He's the forefront. Um, when you have these are the excuses of why people don't go to church. Um, they, here's 10 reasons why people don't go to church. Christians are too critical and judgmental and negative. People who do not like the church's performance. Um, the church is the only thing upon the earth that draws a line between what is right and what is wrong. There's no other entity in the church, I mean in the world, that, that does that function. Um, they, they accuse me on television. They said, oh, you're so immoral. I said, you don't even know what the definition to morality is. How could I be immoral? And, and your lack of definition, morality is the line between righteousness and unrighteousness. That's what makes you a moral people. That you know what goes on God's side and you know what's not part of God's side. And that's why people don't like the church. Uh, you'll, you'll hear a lot of people say, don't judge me. Well, guess what the Bible says? We need to perfect our judgment because we're going to judge the angels. And if you don't know how to judge matters between yourselves and you're going to a worldly judge to decide matters, isn't that embarrassing for you? You have fallen short in your capacity to judge. So judging is not something critical, evil, to despise a person. It's the blessing of being able to come to somebody's life and say, look, this is the line between chaos and this is the line between order and peace. And, and this is what Jesus told us. He says, when you go into a city, make sure that you go into a house, bring the peace of God there. The, the peace of God comes when things are in order. I'll show you an example. If you guys get me that chair right there. This is the example we always use, and I invite you to use it with your friends. Right here. If, if, you, if you have this in an orderly fashion, it's peaceful to be able to function with it. It's real comfortable. And so if it's out of order, if it does not have, if it's not right in place, when I try and use it, Instead of, look at that, somebody was out of order here, piece of gum. 
please don't put gum underneath these chairs. Thank you. Okay, so if I sit here, it's very painful. And people are trying to do life like this. They try to get pregnant before they're married. They're trying to uh, start a family without having a job. So when things are out of order, then it, the life is painful. But if you allow the Spirit of God to transform you, and this, this is taking on another form, transforming. It's, it's coming across, and, and this change is, is very powerful to be able to bring things into their proper existence. So that when you do life in order, it's no longer, you know, you walk up to a person, you see them sit, trying to sit on a chair upside down, and you're like, man, you're out of order. You're, you're th doing things wrong. You need to change. And, and they're like, you're, you're judging me. I'm not judging you. I'm trying to, and this is what I told Los Angeles, we told Texas, when we're issuing forth the word of the Lord is to put things in order. And, and God wants to help us be transformed. Look at this verse in 2 Corinthians 3.18, which the, the, the head of the church is Jesus Christ. So the church's authority to be able to do what it's called to do is that with unveiled faces, without hypocrisy, we look as into a mirror the glory of the Lord. And as we see God in the house of God, as we hear God, um, you start being transformed into the same image. You start... Uh, showing forth his glory just by the spirit of the Lord now how is it that you can be part of the church and not be transformed how is it that you could be part of the church and continue out of order and then if nobody comes and says you know something it's obviously an apparent that your out of orderness is so severe you're not the church you're not part of the church you don't desire the church you're not, you're, you know, one thing is when you're brand new, like I did when I walked in for the first time, but another thing is when you sit here for 10 years, and you sit in the church for 10 years, and you refuse to allow the Spirit of the Lord, and you refuse to allow the goodness of God to change you for, for your benefit and for the benefit of those who are around you. So the church becomes a place of transformation. A, a place of change, a place of putting things in order. Let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our prayer. Fulfill the, 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 um, the attitudes of those that are being governed in heaven here on earth through the church. So here's another reason people don't come to church. They say the church is exclusive. It doesn't allow everybody in. Well, if we allowed everybody in, then this would be a circus. If everybody had an opinion, and that happens often, um, I've been in a 777. I noticed something. Not everybody went over there into the cockpit and told the pilot, let me drive this thing a little bit. Nobody says, uh, why don't they let, why don't they do, the guy who's up there running everything, he's been prepared specially to have a safe arrival. I appreciate those guys like crazy. Every time an airplane lands, we landed last night at midnight. I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you that there, there's a guy who's up there in the cockpit, and he's doing what he's been called to do. So also the leadership in the church is a very peculiar people. And the leadership in the church is not everybody. Uh, I, you know, unfortunately, we live in a twisted world. And as I was going to Texas, um, I was listening to the Christian station and they were saying, look, there is a situation. You call in the radio and let us help these people with your opinion. 
So they, they put the, the, the scenario of a family who written a letter, my husband, my wife, we don't get along, our children are this, and says, okay, now you call and you tell us what they should do. And I was like, I was crying. Because these people should be in a church being led by spiritual leaders in the ways of God to put their lives together and not a free-for-all who has an opinion about what's going on. And that disintegrates, diminishes the church's capacity to have a voice in this world. So, so be careful who you listen to and who you are being led by. Um, let's go to Ephesians 4:11 because God is faithful to not only give us a church that overcomes the world, but to give us a five-fold ministry where it says Jesus himself gave. Um, guys, the word gave comes from a principle of giving. These are gifts. In other words, they're a present from heaven to your life. What for? It says he gave some to be apostles. You say, well, I, I, I've heard of that apostles thing, but I don't understand it. What is an apostle? An apostle is a man who establishes the kingdom of God upon the earth. He's, he's, he's strategically gifted to be able to go into regions and, and lift up the kingdom of God because of the wisdom God has given him, because of the spiritual authority God has given him, because of the supernatural giftings, he's prepared. I, I call these five people, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and te uh, teachers, I call them the real avengers. These are the real superheroes upon the earth that are gifted by God to do the work of God upon the earth. And, and they sit within the context of the church. That's where they work from. They're inside the church. They're men uh, that are gifted with, it says, apostles, and then prophets, and then evangelists, and then pastors and teachers. You should be able to know that these fivefold, they call it the fivefold ministry. They're the leaders in the house of God to govern the affairs of God. And so they're, they're, um, they're, 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 they're supernatural in their gifting and capacity. So you'll see that the apostles are those that establish the kingdom of God in regions that are called by God. The prophets are those who speak the words of God. They, they signal out uh, the vision. They lead the way. And the evangelists are those that are sent out to gather the lost. They have a supernatural capacity to go to the world to win souls. How many know the evangelist Billy Graham? Right? Uh, super powerful manner in which to get multitudes to listen to the word of God. Uh, the word evangelist comes from those who proclaim good news. They're not the bearers of bad tidings. They, they pronounce that Jesus Christ died to save sinners. And then locally in the house of God, we have pastors, those willing to lay down their lives for the sheep. I've never seen any pastor spring up. Listen, I would want you to calculate just the time that is invested by a pastor in the house of God. If, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm going to call Brian Hanau right here. He's a, he's a son of a pastor. And he'll tell you, my dad lives in church. Since I was born, he says, the only place that I know uh, is the house of God. Why? Because my dad has been a pastor all these years. And try to describe what that's like uh, with respect to a pastor's time in church. You, you should give them a, a general sentiment of what that's like. Um, it's, 
Go back to when you were when you were. <laughs> well, it was cool to like to see my dad preach and stuff, and it's cool. It's cool to like learn like um that there's a God that watches over me, and um and that my father was was um preaching. To, um, to just not to me, but to the to our family. And just once a week for one hour, right? Yes. Once a week no, for one on hour. No, on Sunday, but like throughout the whole week. Yeah, because we were in Texas, and the pastor says, "Well, you know, we get we get paid real good for one hour a week on Sunday." I was like, "What type of pastor are you?" <laughs> Tell us about growing up in the house of God with your dad as a pastor. Um. It's awesome um, just to hear the word every day of the week. Um, it really like comforts me um, just hearing the word. And um, sometimes, um, like when I get down and some and um, like in school and stuff, um, it's just it's just awesome to hear the word throughout the week and stuff. Awesome. And how about you guys? How 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 many hours do you think you've invested in the building? As a result of being a pastor's son, like my whole life, a <laughs> lot. <laughs> it's just a special gift. Thank you, sir. It's a special gift to be a pastor dedicated to the house of God. Amen. When he goes out of the way to speak into your life. And you say, well, who is the pastor to be messing with me? How dare him have an opinion? Uh, one, one, of the, one of the examples we had recently was a man who calls me. He's having issues at home. I show up at his home, and his children were acting up. So I gave his children the fifth degree. I was like, Wah! And all of a sudden, he, thought, he called me, and now he's thinking, this guy's a jerk. Look how he's treating my family. Who does this guy think he is to talk to my children like that? And then he goes, wait a second. This guy's over here wasting his time to help me with my children, and the devil's trying to put my heart against him, so I'm going to thank him. As soon as he stops, I say, thank you, pastor, for coming over, so that the devil doesn't have an opportunity to twist my heart for the man of God who's coming over here to help me run my family. Isn't that powerful? And then there will be other people that will show up and say, who does the pastor think he is coming over here and talking like that? And think, oh, you know, and it's not. It's, it's a service. It's a gift of God. And you know who has the only blessing to have a pastor? Those that are members of the church. In other words, sheep. If you're a sheep, God has given you a pastor. And, and in that regards, the church is God's flock. Look what God tells his leaders in 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, we go to verse 2. He says like this, he says, um, those of you that are shepherding the people of God, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Lead these people. Help them get to their destination, serving as those that are watching over them. Now, if you don't like somebody watching over your life to tell you you're about to go off a cliff, you don't need to be in the church. You don't need to be in the church if, you're, if you want to do your own thing at your own time, at your own leisure, at, at your, own, you know, your own glory. Serving as overseers, not because you're forced to. Kenny, your salary here must be huge, my friend. 
And Joey, the same thing. Jose Palma, they, they must be getting paid like some serious bucks to be in the house of God. No, they're not doing it because anybody's forcing them to do it. They're doing it because it's the calling of God upon their lives. Amen. To shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. Not because you're being forced to, but willingly. Has anybody forced the pastors here to serve? Not even. Listen to me, I'm going to tell you a secret. Ready? You couldn't pay us enough. There's no amount of money in the world that can be paid to a man to concern himself over the lives of others, uh, especially those that are, have the tendency to, to head for the hills. Um, let's go, don't change that verse until I tell you to. Let's put it back up there. Um, so shepherd the flock which is among you, serving as overseers. I hope that as we share this word today, your heart begins to shift in a manner that makes you a recipient of what God has gifted you, allowing you the privilege and the honor to be part of his church. So you see, out there, if you don't pay your association dues in your neighborhood, what do they do? They, they foreclose on you, and they keep your home, and they tell you goodbye. We don't want people like you in our neighborhood. So here, you're in the house of God, and it's been years since you have given your tithes, your offering. You don't come in attendance like you should. You miss midweek service. I want to ask you a question. Who told you you could be a part of this church and miss midweek service? This Wednesday, which will be May, the first week of May, we were going to break the Lord's bread. We're going to have the Lord's Supper. And he says, do this until I return because this will keep you healthy. It will keep you prosperous and it will keep you alive. He says, those that don't break the bread in a manner which is worthy, he says, they're sick, they're weak, and some have even died. Because they have not participated in the Lord's Supper, the breaking of the bread, the drinking of the wine. This is the Lord's table. If you disrespect the Lord's table, what are you doing here on Sunday worshiping God? So this Wednesday will be the Lord's Supper. Uh, we expect you to participate. It's a beautiful time of healing, restoration, and revival. And so all these things are given to us um, so that we might be effective people of God upon the earth. Um, there'll be a time, Jesus says, I won't break the bread or drink this cup until I return again. That's what he says in the word. You guys keep it up, and when I return, then I will join you, and I will break the bread and drink the cup. Imagine you missing all these years of the Lord's Supper. The Lord comes back, and you're sitting there wanting to break bread with the Lord. Lord, you know, you said when you got, I said, yeah, but I told you to keep on doing this until I return. And the fact you didn't continue to do it, you're not going to do it now. Stick with your reality. Stick with your authenticity. And so in that regards, we're overseeing attitudes. We're, we're overseeing a whole bunch of things to ensure your safety, to ensure that you don't go astray. The, the Bible says in the last days, many people will go astray. And they're going to try and pick teachers and preachers they like. Oh, I love Joyce Myers. Well, then call Joyce Myers when you're sick. Call Joyce Myers when your daughter wants to get married. Let her conduct the wedding. Call Joyce Myers when you have a funeral. So we're not supposed to pick and choose our preachers, 
We're supposed to be in the house of God with the pastors God has given us, making sure. Uh, look what Hebrews, um, Hebrews 13, 17 says. He says, make sure that you don't make this task difficult for these people. Obey those who are over you in the Lord. Well, how do I do that? Be submissive. Be attentive to their heart's desire. You guys know that there's one thing that, that is honor, and then there's something that is supernaturally double honor. We're living in a generation that honors nobody. Uh, I was in Texas, and I was telling the men, when you swap from church to church to church to church to your convenience, you're saying, I don't receive anymore at that church. You're not supposed to go to church to receive. You're supposed to go to church to give. And I'm sure you haven't outgiven your capacity and potential. If you would give, the church would be richer. It would be, it would be healthier. Uh, the people would benefit from your gifting. Obey those who rule over you. Listen to me, guys. Um, in a world where we hate people to tell us what to do, we, we hate our parents, we hate our, our teachers, we hate the cops, we hate the president, we hate the government. People say, I'm moving out of the United States. I don't like the government. Brother, go to Uganda or Rwanda or her sister. <laughs> go to a, a place where there's no government, where there's chaos on the streets, where people come in your house and rape your children, and the banks steal your money. And so we're living in a chaotic time. So when people come to church, they're like, oh, my God, now we have to do what the pastor says. How horrible. How horrible that you have somebody that cares for you, that cares for your children, that cares for their, for their to, to prosper and to be blessed and to be wholesome. How horrible. And you know something? The murmurings or the complaining of the adults infect the hearts of the children. And then the children says, well, uh, we don't want to go to church because then they're going to tell us what to do and they're going to expect us to. Absolutely. If this one man came here about five years ago, he says, you know, Pastor, I don't like church. Every time I go in, people are always telling me what I'm not doing. I said, well, then go to a dead church and they're not going to tell you anything. Go to a church where nobody cares about your life. If somebody's speaking to you about something that's out of order, that's the church. In the body, the human body, there's white blood cells. If there's an infection, if there's toxins, all the white blood cells go over there and start beating the daylights out of all things wrong to get it out of the body. The same with the church. The church is interested in healthiness, in livelihood, in orderly. So he says, listen, those people that are above you in the Lord, submit to them. Why? For they're watching for your soul. I, I would like for you to think for one second, for you to distance yourself from the house of God and from the people of God and from the word of God, and from the men of God. In the Old Testament, there's an example. is Saul. He stopped listening to Samuel, and he had to go get his advice from a witch. How many are prepared to go to a santera? To an espiritista. Go to, to a horoscope guy and let him read his crystal ball. When you have men that are inspired by the spirit of God, who weigh heavy the burdens of the house of God, it says they watch over you, your souls, as those that are going to have to give an account to the Lord. I don't want to be before God and say, hey, what, what, this guy was there and you, you continue to let him do whatever. He was there and he wasn't, he wasn't living to honor me. He was there and didn't come to the Lord's Supper. He was there and, and there was a one man, he says, hey, uh, are you going to go to the hospital and pray for my mom? 
I said, let me ask you a question. Have you ever gone to the hospital to pray for somebody else's mom? Why do you have a sense of entitlement when you've served nobody? And then the expectation of, oh, nobody called me when I was sick. Who did you call when they were sick? Who did you visit when they had to stay home? So this giving account uh, is a measure. Uh, let them do what they have to do with joy. What's that mean? When I had that man share that testimony, he says, Pastor, you came over to my house and you laid heavy into my children. And I said, who the heck do you think you are? And then I thought that the devil's here and the angel's here and they're talking to me. And I had to side real quick with the heavens and say, thank you, Pastor, for coming. And I appreciate what you're doing. When I sided with heaven, as I hear him say that testimony, there's joy in my heart. Because I'm not wasting my time over the lives of fools. I'm not being despised over people that don't know how to honor and don't know how to appreciate the leaders in the church. That don't know the investment of the time that Kenny has put in and his wife and Joey and Suleika and their children. And all those that labor in the house of God. He says, make sure that you honor these people, that you know and respect them. And their opinion is not your opinion. And their words are not your words. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. For that would not be profitable for you. What's that mean? Well, since the church is such a burden on you, and my caring about you is so crazy, well, then why don't you just stay home? Why don't you just disconnect and not make me be forced to do what I'm called to do and not force you to be obligated to put up with what Jesus wants to give you as a blessing? So here it is, the house of God. And, and while all those people out there are saying that the, the house of God is judgmental and critical and it's exclusive um, and they don't like anything organized, they don't like organized religion, uh, the famous one that people talk about the church when they say, oh, there's a bunch of hypocrites over there. And I'm like, well, when's the last time you went to a nightclub and those wonderful non-hypocritical people were there <laughs> and you were buying them drinks and dancing with them? You're... you're, you're the last time you went to a Guns N' Roses concert and all those serious and you know, people of integrity, people of commitment, faithful people, when did that stop you from engaging in worldly affairs? But they use that in the house of God and it's a joke. And then also the concept of that the church wants your money. A lot of people think that the church needs your money. I want to tell you right now, you have a poor complex if you don't understand that the wealth of heaven, gold and silver, without limitations, is in the hands of our Father. He's never lacking for good and large sums of money. If he allows you to think that by bringing your tithes and your offerings to the house of God, that is overbearing, you've been deceived. Because the only thing that that has done in my life is brought order to my finances, excellence in my stewardship, and abundance, because if you're faithful in the small things, God will bring you to larger things. God will bless your socks off. And the only people that are deprived from prosperity and abundance are those people that can't handle the money. So I was saying, if you steal from the Lord, you have some serious problems, and he can't bestow upon you the wealth that he has for you. Uh, that's what we were talking about in Texas with respect to God wanting to show forth his kindness in your life. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, there's a statement. The king comes out, David, and says, Is there anyone 
that's from the descendants of um, chapter 9, verse 1. 2 Samuel 9, 1. David speaks these words. Is there anybody, is there still anyone left from the house of Saul that I can show him kindness because of Jonathan's sake? That's the natural, that's the shadow, and that's the type. But if you bring that fast forward, you have God saying these words. Is there still anyone left from the house of God that I can show my kindness to him for the sake of Jesus, my son? A king saying he wants to bless the descendants of a man based on a relationship with Jonathan. We have God in heaven saying, I want to show forth my kindness for the sake of my son. That means whatever he's going to bestow is not based on your condition, but based on Jesus' sacrifice. Because of Jesus, God wants to show kindness to your life. And so if we understand this to be the case, that God wants to shower us with untold, extravagant, and lavish giftings of grace. He's going to give you things you never even dreamed were possible. He's a giving God. He bestows that plenty in the house of God. If we were to read Psalm 133, verse 1, the Bible says that, Behold how good and pleasant it is when the brethren dwell together in unity. The Jewish people knew something. If they weren't united, God would not bestow. What would happen if spring of life got united in the vision and in the purpose of God? How God would begin to bestow giftings and blessings. He says it's good and it's pleasurable for the brethren to be together. Why? Verse 2. It would be like a precious oil that runs down from the head. Down to, through the beard. And from the beard running down to the edge of the garments. Verse 3. As God pours over the head of his church, Jesus... His leadership. It's like the dew of heaven that descends. The, the atmosphere, el rocio, the dew of heaven that descends upon the mountains. It is there that God commands blessing and abundant life. There's not been one day in 33 years that I have not seen the glory of God fall upon his people. His goodness is just being downloaded right now over our lives, giving us understanding. It is there that God commands blessing. It's not anywhere else. Uh, years ago, I asked the Lord, Lord, what is your favorite place in all the world? You know where it is? Right here. His eyes are upon the house of God. He sees you coming in. He says, when you come in through the gates, come in with thanksgiving. Come in with praise. Don't come in with complaining. Oh, I have to go to church again. No, come in with shouts of, of praise to a good God who's really tuned into what's happening in the house of God. And it's there that he answers prayer. It's there that he gives you all the things that you need. Um, they would say things like direction. Lord, I need direction. They would say that he would bless your possessions, your belongings. He would keep you from the evil one. He would protect you like a, uh, like a strong tower, like a refuge. Uh, let's not... Walk in the disservice to distort what the church is and its function and its role. The reason we kick off this sermon on the 1st of May is that the rest of May, we're going we're gonna to focus on the church. 
We're going to focus on the dynamics, the intricacies. I, I tell you again, how many, how many absences do your kids have at school before they're asked to not come back to the school? Anybody want to say something? I think if, if, if you lose like 30, they say you lost the whole year. They don't even cr- give you credit for that year. So in your absence in the house of God, how does, how does it fit within your moral compass that you could be absent and absent and absent and absent and absent and absent and there not be no consequences? That's deception. I, I really, I, I've done this before and I'll do it again. If, if I see people that despise the house of God and are not serious about their Christianity, go find another place to play your circus. Don't make this your circus. You're not invited here to take God as a second fiddle or somebody who you really don't need and come in Sunday and hearing a good word is, is the encouragement you need. Um, all the materials that are out there with Joel Olstein and Joyce Myers, I love these people. They're men of God. They're women of God. They're doing the work of God. But don't use them to supplant what God wants you to have, which is a serious relationship with the church, with your pastors. We, we have a, everybody tells us, they're like, man, why do you guys have so much pastors? Because we love our sheep. We love our sheep. There'll be no excuse why well, I tried to call the pastor. They didn't return my call. That's not going to happen. We love our sheep. We'll give our lives for our sheep. We are giving our lives for our sheep. In John chapter 20, there was a, a passage there where Jesus reaches out to one of his men there. And he's telling, he's telling Peter, he says, hey, Peter, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know that I love you. I mean, I've been with you for three years. You know these things. And so there... In John 21, verse 15, a question of the Lord. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Jesus was talking to Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than everyone else? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lamb, my lambs. Verse 16 He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, tend to my sheep. Make my sheep a priority in your existence. Verse 17. A third time he said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. Now you're sad because the Lord is like, man, something is wrong here. The Lord is busting my chops. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. So three times the question of Jesus to his followers is, do you love me? And three times the focus was my sheep. You cannot say you love Jesus Christ and trample the sheep and despise the sheep and belittle the sheep. So today has been a good day in the house of God. And we celebrate the king of glory. Uh, I want to finish up in 1 Peter 5 because... You, you might think that we run the show as pastors and we're just making uh, decisions based on, on our own whim. I, I could guarantee you that that's not the case. There, First um, uh, Peter 5, we're going to read verse 2. Shepherd the flock that's among you, serving them as overseers, but not by compulsion, willingly. Not for dishonest gain. Not tricking people to, uh, to gain. Go back to 2. Not to gain dishonest gain. One of the reasons we don't pick up tithes and offering by a plate that goes across is because we do not want to make the focus of our worship um, that which we derive monetarily. 
uh, people come in here all the time, and they, it's funny, it's the non-believers that are invited here to the house of God that run up to me and they say, you forgot to pick up. I said, no, I didn't forget. That little box over there is so you don't forget. So it's not about being forced to sacrifice your tithes and your offering to the Lord. Uh, we, we teach people to be, uh, to have gratitude and to be grateful for God and to bring their best to the house of God. Um, and so that whole issue of dishonest gain is that we don't want to put a stumbling block. The verse, next verse, verse 3, it says, Now, not as being lords over those entrusted to you. I'm not going to go and knock on your house and force you to have a pastor. If you despise the pastor, the judgment is upon you, not upon me. The Bible says, call the elders when you're sick. When you're in need, call the leaders, call the pastors, and then we'll come and serve. Um, not as being lords, we're not going to be... The, the, the watch police, but our lives are examples. If you want to know what to do, follow what we do. Our lives preach louder than our words. They speak a lot louder. You should be modeling and holding out your spiritual leaders as examples. Verse 4, it says why? It says so that when the chief shepherd appears. If you don't know the chief shepherd, my boss, his name is Jesus. When I retired from my law practice, I went to all the judges and told them I was leaving my law practice. And there was a Skip Maynard, uh, one of the judges that everybody enjoyed. And I said, uh, Judge Maynard, I'm leaving my law practice. And he goes, why are you doing that? He says, well, I'm going to go into missionary. I'm going to work for the Lord. He goes, you're going to have the best boss of all. You're going to have the best boss of all, and I do. And he says, when he shows up, we'll receive a crown of glory that will not fade. Let's stand this morning. And God has given us a little bit of an eye into these matters into what a world-changing church is to be. Uh, to participate is not only an honor and a privilege, but a grave responsibility, a real, real serious responsibility. And so uh, I believe that the faithfulness of God is here with us. Um, during the month of May, I'm not going to be doing the teaching. Uh, we're going to invite uh, those people who love the Word of God uh, and, and Sunday school teachers and, and, and different leaders are going to be here, uh, and they'll teach on different components of the Word of God. Um, I'm going to rec recommend to them to follow the track of my book, Restoring the Gates, um, just because there's 10 aspects of the local church in here that need to be restored. 10 aspects of, of connecting with God. I believe if our church is a finely tuned, efficient body, of believers that are really connected and ingrained in their giftings and callings and graces, I believe we're going to see God like we've never seen him before. I believe God is going to come and visit us in a very powerful way. So I will be inviting different Sunday school teachers and different people in our congregation that have a gift of teaching to, to, uh, to bless us with their, with their uh, prism and their perspective of what God wants us to know about the house of God. If in any manner you have despised the house of God, the first verse I put in my book here, Restoring the Gates, says that uh, if at any moment we would despise the house of God, let's read that, Psalm 137, 5 and 6. Psalm 137 says, If I forget thee, Jerusalem, which is... Uh, a shadow and a type of the church, let my right hand forget its skill. If I despise the house of God, 
what I'm strong and good at doing, let that disappear. Why? Because when you make the house of God the centrality of place of your worship as the bride of Christ, Jesus called us to be part of the bride. If we forget her, then let my business go down the, the, the tubes. Uh, verse 6, he says, not only let me forget my skill, but if I do not remember you, bring me back to memory, to honor, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. That means let me starve to death. Let me have no bread to eat, no water to drink. If I do not remember the house, if I do not exalt, lift up Jerusalem to the place of my highest joy. That's, our, that's why we want to do this in May. I'm going to put the church where it goes in our relationship to who we are because that will determine where we are before the Lord. It will determine our healthiness in the regards to the house, uh, to the ways of the Lord. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for those that are present. Thank you for a, a word in season is like healing medicine to our bones. We pray in Jesus' name that we would be attached to Jesus Christ, the head of this church, that we as members one to another would be uh, knitted in the sinews, in the muscle tissues, in the organs, Lord, the vitality of our spiritual existence determines on how we relate with the church of the living God. Allow us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves as many have a custom and tradition. But Father, as we see the day of your appearing draw closer and closer that we might worship you with more and more excellence. We ask your blessing upon the people of God, the families of God. We lift up before you our burdens, our, our cares, our adverse situations, our health. And we pray, Father God, that you divinely address these for your glory and that you be exalted. We praise you and ask your blessing upon the families of this church, Lord. Allow them to prosper financially, economically, that they would have sufficient support to be able to praise your name, you who are our provider. We exalt you and give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. And the house of God says amen, amen, amen. amen. Greet one another in the love of the Lord.